It is great to be able to worship. I tell you, it's a little bit different today. Uh, seems like every Sunday for about a month we've had a baptism to kick off the service, and I almost feel out of place because we're not baptizing anybody today. It's good news, though. In March, we've actually already got one scheduled later in the month, so uh, looking forward to being able to do that. Uh, anyone who has been paying attention lately is aware of the startling statistics concerning children, specifically Christian children, leaving their faith. Depending on the study, we are losing the vast majority of teens raised in evangelical homes by the time they have finished their freshman year of college. So in other words, these are children that they have grown up in the church and they have heard for years that the Word of God is important to them and that they ought to live in a certain way. But by the end of their freshman year of college, they want little or nothing to do with their Christian faith. It doesn't take a statistical genius to figure out that something is wrong with the way that we are training our children. There are many different theories as to why this is happening. Most authors and experts have attempted to place the responsibility upon the church, and there is likely some responsibility that must fall upon the church. It certainly would appear that we are not doing enough to help our children and youth to be well-grounded. But not all of the responsibility falls upon the church. Author Vadi Bacham writes this. He says, Our children are not falling away because the church is doing a poor job, although that is undoubtedly a factor. He said, Our children are falling away because we are asking the church to do what God designed the family to accomplish. Discipleship and multi-generational faithfulness begins and ends at home. A few years ago, one of the most popular television shows on television was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. People loved it as families would take a trip with their children and return to a home that looked completely different, completely transformed. Well, what was it that made that show so attractive to so many people? Perhaps a part of the attraction is the fact that all of us have things in our lives that we'd love to see transformed so we could relate to the people on the show. Perhaps there are things within our families that desperately need to change, but we feel powerless to make that happen. Perhaps there are even some things that we assume will never change. It won't get any better no matter what we do. That kind of transformation seems impossible for most people. Every summer there is a problem that plagues the western part of the country. Uh, when the temperatures soar, the electric bills go through the roof and typically communities will have what's referred to as rolling blackouts where they will intentionally shut the power off for a region, typically for an hour or two hours, sometimes for an entire day, depending on how much electric use is taking place. But in that moment, during those rolling blackouts, basically you have no power. And I would suggest that there are many within the church who almost perceive God as providing rolling blackouts. There are times where God will display great power but there are certain times that he simply will not move or he cannot move. 
sometimes we perceive that even within our families. But what if transformation were actually possible for you? What if the power of God were just as real as it was in the days when Jesus Christ walked the earth? What if true transformation were actually possible for you and your family? The Apostle Paul addresses the possibility of true transformation as he writes his second letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.17. I had Josh read it earlier. It's a very familiar verse and all of us likely have heard it at least a few times before, probably even from this pulpit. But this is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice who we're talking about here. Before we dig deep into the verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you bear the name of Christ, if you would declare to others that you are a Christian, if you have at some point repented of your sin and you have asked Jesus to become the Lord of your life, if anyone is in Christ, includes you. Did you know that God absolutely desires to change us both on the inside and the outside? That he desires to change both us and our families? Maybe that sounds like such an elementary statement, but I'm not sure that the world actually gets this. And I'm not even sure that the church gets it sometimes. Far too many of us love the idea of salvation coming into our lives. We want to know that we are forgiven. We want to know that eternity waits somewhere down the road. But we are content to leave certain sins in play within our lives. Within our families, we see the possibility of God redeeming us. But I've got family members that God could never reach. We've given up hope of the power of God to transform lives and families. It's as if we believe that God wants to save us for our sins so that we can continue in it, but now we're saved, as opposed to God saving us from our sins, removing us from that so that we no longer have to be I identified by the past, by the sins, and sometimes even the consequences of that sin. Know that he didn't save us simply so that we could remain where we were. He saved us for the purpose of setting us free. God desires that we be transformed. To be transformed is to go through a metamorphosis from one thing to another. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, grounded, unable to do much, and honestly not very attractive, to becoming something that is beautiful and ready to fly, something that is honored and celebrated by all of creation. That's what happens when an individual is truly transformed and they no longer look like they once did, no longer act like they once did, and no longer believe themselves to be grounded and unable to do much else. That is the metamorphosis, the transformation that God desires to happen in us. It's more than changing our eternal destination. It is about us being made new in him.
And if God can transform you as an individual, then God can absolutely transform your family as well. In his book, Just Like Jesus, Max Lucado says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. Now, I'm not much of a moviegoer. I think probably in the 24 years that I've been married that uh, we've probably been to the movies, it's less than five times. Not because I think that somehow the, um, the, the movies are more ungodly than what you'll find on television, because that's probably not really true. It probably has more to do with the fact that I'm cheap. And if the movie's going to be out on TV in a few months anyways, I'll just save my 10 bucks and I'll be good. Actually, it's probably more than that by now. So anyways, um, one movie that I have seen in the theater was the original Transformers movie. Um, It's actually a remake of a cartoon that existed when I was a child. The Transformers were uh, supposed to be a race of alien robots that had the ability to transform from a robot into an ordinary-looking vehicle. Although they looked like ordinary vehicles, there was more that meets the eye. That was the theme, was more than meets the eye. With the advances in technology, it's amazing how realistic Hollywood was able to make these Transformers look. But no matter what they do to make them look real, They are still fictional characters. But I want you to know today that God genuinely wants you to be transformed, to become transformers. He wants us to become something that we cannot be on our own. He wants us to change from one thing to another. But the question needs to be asked, how are we transformed? And I have several answers for you here. Of course, I wouldn't ask the question if I didn't have an answer for you. The first answer is very simple. It's by looking at Jesus. 2 Corinthians, I read earlier from chapter 5, the Apostle Paul really believed in this transformation thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, he is addressing the Corinthian church again, and he says this, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What this passage tells me is that God wants us to be transformed. But into what? Into the image of Jesus. And the more we look like Jesus, the more we will see the glory of the Lord in our lives. It's said that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This doesn't mean that we're all turning into robots. We're not those kinds of transformers who always think and look the same. We are all created with individual personalities. There are things that are unique to you that will always be unique to you, and that's a great thing. But all of us ought to be continually being transformed into the image 
of Jesus Christ so that we will continually reflect more and more of Jesus in our lives. We see things that happen during our weekly activities, and as we go through the the week, we begin to think like Jesus would think. We see someone who's hurting, and our first thought is we want to reach down and touch their lives. We see someone who is uh, perhaps they're, they're doing something that they're not supposed to do, and we want to be there to tell them, hey, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. We see Jesus Christ, and as we see him, we ought to begin to reflect him to start doing the things that he would do, loving people the way he would love them and genuinely caring about the things that are going on in the people around us. How does this happen? How do we begin to reflect him more? We begin by simply looking at Jesus. We need to be people who are willing to get into his word particularly into the Gospels, as we read about Jesus Christ. Now, I know, by the way, the entire book of the Bible, all 66 books, really is a story about Jesus Christ and his love for humanity. Jesus Christ doesn't appear at the creation, I'm sorry, he doesn't appear at the conception moment. Rather, Jesus was involved even in the very act of creation. At the very beginning of time, he was there and he is recorded as being present in various books of the Bible, even in the Old Testament. So even though we point to the Gospels as a great time to look at Jesus, the reality is that all of Scripture is his story. But When we look in the Gospels, we read about the things that Jesus Christ specifically said and did. Look at the things that he says. Look at the things that he does, the people that he touches. Then go and do likewise. Be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of the one who set the standard. Jesus did more than stand up and preach and teach the people. That was certainly a part of it. He amazed people with the way he spoke. But more than that, he lived a life that showed people what it was to be a reflection of God. I want to go back to the family aspect of this for a moment. Parents. Do not expect your children to become a reflection of Jesus Christ if you are not doing it also. If you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, then why would your children do so? I'm going to get uncomfortable for a minute. I have had so many parents over the years ask this question. Where did we go wrong? They look at their children and they look at the choices that they're making and they realize, man, I must have done something wrong if my kids are not walking in a way that would honor God. Now, the comforting response to this, and again, I know that this is going to get uncomfortable, so I apologize ahead of time. The comforting response in this is to declare that, you know, you can do everything right and your kids can still make wrong choices. And that is actually a true statement. The Proverbs tell us that if you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is actually a true proverb, but it is not an absolute. A proverb is a likelihood. If you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he gets older, there's a good probability that he will not depart from it. So that is actually a true statement, but the truth is, child can still choose to go in different ways. 
But here's where it gets uncomfortable. Many of us have attended church every Sunday for decades. And we thought as long as we make sure our kids are in church, that will be enough. But we have not truly trained up our children in the way that they should go. My goal here is not to condemn those who their kids are already grown and they're making foolish choices, but in your case to remind you that your responsibility never ends with your children. You are to train up your child in the way that they should go. But the biggest part of that is you making sure that you lead by example. If they're still making poor choices, you be the one to pray for them. You be the one to pray with them. You be the one to model for them what it is to be a child of God. You say, well, they're already adults. They've already made their decision. An individual is never too old to be transformed. Let's go back to the power of God. Again, this is not a rolling blackout. It's not one of those times where the power of God is not available to us anymore. Regardless of how old your children are, you still have the responsibility to train up your children in the way that they should go. But for those of you who you still have children in your household, my challenge to you is this. Right now, in this moment, you decide what you want your children to be. I'm not guaranteeing you that they will choose to walk in a way that honors God. But I'm telling you, there's a good probability of it. If you will live it outside of Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, you show them what it is to be a child of God. You live it in front of your kids. You spend time with them. You pray with them. You spend time in God's word with them. You let them see the integrity of the Holy Spirit in you. And as they do, they will see something that is worthy of imitation. If you want your family to be transformed, let it begin in you. Many years ago, we were in a worship service in our church that we were part of in Pennsylvania. I was on the front row, not up on the platform saying I was on the front row and Andrew was in my arms. I kind of laugh at that now because he is taller than me and I could not get him in my arms if I wanted. But I can remember singing with one of my hands raised. So I'm holding him in my left hand, and I've got my hand raised, my eyes are closed, I'm worshiping, just enjoying the Spirit of God. And I remember opening my eyes and looking, and here's Andrew with both hands raised because he's watching his dad, and all of a sudden he wants to do the same thing that he sees in me. Know that your children want so much to see something worthy of imitation. Don't you want to show them something worthy of imitation? Well, we're talking about how we can be transformed, how our families can be transformed. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through God's word. Romans 12, 2 declares, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What that tells me is we can be transformed. We don't have to be conformed anymore. We live in a world that is constantly 
trying to conform us. Uh, It's naturally drawing on us. You turn the TV on and there are all kinds of images that are there for us and they become normal images, at least to our culture. I will tell you that there are things I don't want to conform to in our culture, but it seems so easy to do it. Used to be that smoking cigarettes was the thing, and it seemed like everybody on TV had a cigarette in their hand or in their mouth. And then it was alcohol, and every beer commercial, honestly, the beer commercials have been funny for years. But they tried to make these things look like normal things that normal people do. Have you ever seen a beer commercial with someone who was overweight? Nope. Because, hey, if you drink beer, that'll make you really healthy and and attractive. Actually, if you drink enough of it, everybody becomes attractive. (laughs) The point is, all of these things become so normal. They become a, a part of our lives, and we become conformed to what everybody else wants us to look like. But according to Romans 12, we are told to not be conformed to this world anymore, but to be transformed By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? I'm going to tell you that there is a part of this that God can completely renew your mind. It's not as much about you. I believe very firmly that God can take some of those images that have been a part of your life and he can completely remove them. To change the desires of your heart. When I talked to individuals, actually me and Jonathan were talking just this past week, we were talking about there was a time that if, actually I'll take it, I was Jonathan's accountability partner for a while, and there was a time when he first came to us when we were at the church in Pennsylvania, uh, that when the accountability partner, me, when I would go out of town, that was typically when Jonathan struggled. By the way, he wasn't unique, it seemed like that was the case for many of the guys we worked with. I remember... Not long after Jonathan had come here, I was getting ready to go on vacation with the family. I called him and just said, hey, man, I just want to make sure you're okay. Because I know sometimes when the accountability partner goes out of town, sometimes they struggle and they go back to their addictions and stuff. And he said, are you kidding me? It makes me sick to even think about going back to that lifestyle. And the reality is God can completely change your mind to give you completely different desires so that you no longer long for the things that once identified you. And that's a beautiful thing. But I also want you to know that there is a responsibility on us. We must decide to be transformed. We must decide what we will allow in our lives because those things do impact who we are. Remember the images on TV? If you spend enough time in front of that TV, you will be conformed to the world in which you see. But we are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which means we need to start putting some things in our minds that are a whole lot better. Where do we begin? We begin with the Word of God. Just a thought, just a question. When was the last time you spent time in God's Word? Don't answer. Don't raise your hands for anything here. How many of you have read God's Word this week? I'm not talking about last Sunday when I was preaching. How many of you read God's Word this week? How many of you watch TV? How many of you spent more time watching TV than you did reading God's Word? If you're in that category, which one do you think is going to conform you or transform you.
If we are not spending time in God's word, then what we are choosing is to be conformed to the world around us. But we are to be transformed instead. Rick Warren said this, God's number one purpose in your life is to make you like Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the child of God more like the Son of God. And that is his desire for you and for me. I have one more thing to share with you, and then I'm going to ask someone else to come up and help me this morning. Um, The third thing that we must do, I told you already you need to look at Jesus. I told you that you need to renew your minds by reading God's Word. But we also need to intentionally spend time with Jesus. You say, well, that's kind of similar to the first one. It is a little bit similar, but it's one thing to look at something from the outside. It's another thing to know him personally. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. As I stand before you, what I've been talking about this morning is the need for discipleship. We need to become disciples. We need to become disciplers. It's not enough to say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We were not called to go out and make believers, but to go out and make disciples. And it's easy for me to simply stand up here and tell you this is what you ought to do. But I wanted you to hear from someone who has been discipled and just to hear a little bit of how that has impacted their lives. I mentioned Jonathan earlier, and I'm going to ask Jonathan if he would come and share with us for a few moments. Good morning, church. I got a shout of praise. My mom is a member of the same church as I am, and that is Grace. Man, my heart is full, so. Um, Ephesians 4.16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, so today I get to testify um, of the impact that discipleship has had on my life. Discipleship to me is a non-negotiable, and it should be to the church as well. Um, When I first began this beautiful journey in Christ, uh, one thing I realized right away was that I could not do this on my own. We can't do this uh, uh, by ourselves. Um, I was new to the faith, and with that came the question that I'm sure that many new followers had is, okay, now what? Right? Like, what's next? And uh, with those questions, you know, I was, uh, I was on milk, and I had this desire for the meat, right? I had a desire to uh, get deeper in my relationship with Christ, but I didn't know how or which direction. So basically, I wanted all that God planned for me, or I didn't want anything. Um, I didn't want to be a sideline saint. I didn't want to be what you could call a campsite Christian. Um, my desire was to grow in maturity with Christ, and with that I realized one thing for sure is I needed help. I needed guidance. So with that blessing is, is, is when somebody is looking out for help and guidance and directions, which I believe every new believer is. Um, I was blessed uh, to have people help me. 
um, with that and what it actually looks like to be a disciple of Christ. People who were willing to make time for me, people who were the example I needed uh, to watch as they walk. And, and my thought was, yes, I may call myself, this was the thought that I had going on in my head at the time, was, yeah, I could be a follower of Christ, as Pastor was talking about, to, to a believer in Christ. But what about being a disciple of Christ, right? A, a disciple is someone who was fully committed to obeying Jesus Christ in all of his life, and I wanted that. Did you get that? It was all of his life. It wasn't just part of his life. It was Jesus is life. So I, I wanted to, to, to see how to get that. And um, also, disciple means learner. And in the New Testament days, a disciple gave up everything in order to follow Jesus. So in order for me to grasp that truth when I heard that, man, I, I needed to have a help. I needed to have a coach, if you will. Uh, so I had mentors. I had pastors like Pastor Mike and some other individuals uh, who have been walking with the Lord for quite some time that I got to, uh, they could show me how to actually like live this out, right? Like we could read the word and pray and all these things. Um, but there was something more to it. Like there's godly counsel that I needed. There was direction, advice, and, and, and importantly was someone who would just basically listen to me because I could go on and on. Uh, but no, somebody that would just listen to me, and that's important to have somebody in your life that'll just listen. Uh, most importantly, I would call it a friendship, is what a discipleship looks like. It's a friendship, it's a bond in Christ, and one thing I know is a friend in Christ is a friend forever, amen? Uh, so we would read scripture together, pray together, and make every intentional effort to seek Christ and grow in a relationship with God that would not just help me, but it also helped the individual that was discipling me. Uh, we, we would seek out together and live into what Christ has for us, the fullness. So I'll say this. Do not think that you are living into the fullness of Jesus Christ if you have not been a disciple. Hear this, two things. First, you are selling yourself short if you have, if you have never been in a discipleship relationship. Number two, every relationship you have will either feed into your walk with Christ or it will hinder it. Um, the value and impact of my experience in being a disciple and discipling with others has enhanced my life in ways that words I, I really can't describe on the impact that it has built on my foundation with Christ. Um, and, and, and the glory in it is that the relationships that I have, have made in the discipleship and mentors in my life is that the relationships are still there to this day. Like a lot of these the guys, besides Pastor Mike, of course, I've had uh, others up north. Um, but, man, they are still in my life, and they are only a phone call away. And that is ministry, my friends. Uh, so please, I urge you to find someone who will consistently spur you forward into progress with your relationship with Christ. This is not just something we do. This is an urgent need. If you are not helping other people to follow Jesus, then I don't know what you mean when you say you are a follower of Jesus. Because to be his followers is to help others to follow him. I don't want to take up too much time. Uh, <laughs> Um, 
God's primary plan for the church is for, for disciples of Jesus to develop other men and women into disciples. There's probably no other primary matter of negligence in the church today than our failure to follow the Lord's command in Matthew 28 to develop uh, disciples. And because of this neglect, many Christians think of themselves as an audience to be entertained and not an army that's ready to march. Discipleship must function as the heart of church, of the church ministry. You know, ultimately each church will be evaluated by only one thing, it's disciples. The church is only as good as its disciples. I don't care how good you praise, you preach, your programs, any of that. If your disciples are passive, needy consumers and not moving toward radical obedience, then I can say this, we are not doing good. Um, discipleship is purposeful. This is the, it's purposeful, it is fun, it is rewarding, very much so, but it, it is actually one of the greatest joys I have in my life, is to be able to pour out and to, and, and to have others pour in. It's the biggest joy in my life. Um, at the very same time, like most things of value, it requires energy, time, and hard work. It is costly, but it is worth it. And I'm just going to leave with this. Where there is no sweat, there is no sainthood. So praise God always, and I thank you all for my church. Thank you, Jonathan. I want to close with one last thing, and then we're going to participate in communion. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to share this message this morning is it's not just a commercial either. It's actually an opportunity to be fulfilled, as we've been talking about. Um, our church has been very intentional over the past several months to try to become more of a disciple-making church. And as a part of that, um, in your bulletins this Sunday, there is a little card that people have been asked to just respond to. Um, you may not need to. Maybe you've already been through this, but I'm going to challenge you. If you have not been discipled and you would like to be discipled, if you would simply put your name on that, and then if you would basically mark beside, I want to be discipled. Uh, if you would do that, uh, Jim Hansen, he's the second tallest guy who's here today. He'll be standing out in the foyer and he will be there to receive those. If you would like to be discipled, I encourage you to give it. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I, I've been discipled. I want to start discipling somebody else. I want to be able to take someone else through this journey. On that little card, there's also a spot for you to mark that you would like to be a discipler. Put your name on it. And what will happen is we'll try to pair you up with someone else that you can walk through this journey of Christian faith and discipleship with. I believe that it makes a difference in the lives of others, and whether you realize it or not, you can be an incredible blessing in helping someone else become all that Christ would have them be. So we're going to close with a word of prayer, and then we will participate in communion. I have several of the uh, seniors who are going to be coming, and they're going to be helping to serve the elements of communion this morning. Father, we thank you again for the grace that you've given to us. We thank you for the salvation that has come to each of us, and today as we talk about discipleship and talk about being truly transformed and being made new. Lord, I pray that every individual in this room would truly be made new. I pray that our families would be made new. I pray that you would begin right here, right now in us, and you would cause us to become different people than we were before. 
I pray that we would become like those caterpillars that are turning into butterflies. I pray that you would make us the beautiful blessing that you created us to be. I pray that people would see the image of Christ in us as we become more and more like you. I pray for those who right now are considering whether or not they want to be discipled, where they can continually grow and intentionally make the decision to become those disciples. I pray for those who perhaps they've been discipled, and right now they're praying as to whether or not they should be discipling someone else. And I just pray that you would use this church in such a mighty way that we would see the kingdom of God transformed, not just the individual, not just individual families, but this church and everywhere beyond, that the transforming power of Jesus Christ would be evident. Well, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy as we participate in this act of communion this morning. Well, we celebrate the work that you have done. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to forgive us of our sins. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you that today we live as those who have been redeemed. Lord, I pray that as we celebrate what you've done, that we would see you continue to do your work in us. This is very much connected to this issue of discipleship. May we continually live in celebration of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. May you be honored now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask if the seniors who have volunteered to come and help serve, if they would come forward. Uh, as they do so, I want to just point out specifically what we're doing in the act of communion. Uh, the scriptures call us to remember very few things, but one of the things we are called to remember is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His body broken, his blood shed for us. As we participate in this act of communion today, what we are doing is celebrating, not in a morbid way, but celebrating the death of Christ because his death gives us life. And that ought to be an incredible, amazing life. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And today in Christ, we have much freedom because of what he did for us. Today is an opportunity for us to just celebrate that. These are ordinary elements. We've got bread and grape juice. But what they represent is extraordinary. For it was Jesus Christ who laid down his body for us, and that is represented by the bread. Jesus Christ who shed his blood, represented by the grape juice. And he did so simply to bring salvation to you and to me. If you are a child of God, we want you to come and be a part of this. This is a great opportunity to simply celebrate what Jesus did for you. What we're going to ask is as you come forward, we'll have stations, one over here, one in the middle, and then one over here. And as you come forward to receive the elements, uh, if you'll take them back to your pew, and then once everyone has received it, we'll all partake of it together. And as we do that, if there's anyone who is unable to come forward, we will bring the elements to you as well. So uh, we invite you to come. If you would, come out. That would be your left side, uh, and then come back the right side. That way everybody's not running into each other. So if you would, we invite you to come and receive the elements of communion.